This morning, uh, I'm continuing. Obviously, this is a series now. We can officially call it that. This is the fourth sermon. Um, so, uh, yeah, the, the seasons we've been talking about, the reality that every one of us, we have seasons. Every one of us in life, there's, there's seasons that come. We looked at the book of Ecclesiastes, the writing of Solomon, and just what he says about there's a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens. But the reality that we have as believers in Jesus Christ is that our seasons, the times in which we're living, good or bad, rough or or fun, they're appointed seasons that God's hand is upon each and every one of them. He's always in control, even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it. Walt used a word in his prayer today. He talked about the sovereignty of God. God is the author and finisher of it all, and he's not lost control of his creation. So in the season that we're living, we need to find him. And when we find God in that season, it helps us more to trust him. That was the first message. The second one was about due seasons. In the book of Galatians, Paul writes these words, If you keep on doing good, don't give up doing good, for in due season you'll reap a harvest. The reality that today, what I'm doing today affects what I can expect tomorrow. Sometimes seasons seem out of our control or out of our our, our touch, but we have something we can do today that impacts the season that's coming tomorrow. Last week we looked at a specific season that, that Solomon addressed, and we talked last week about there is a time for each and every one of us to speak. We're called to be his witnesses. We're called to be the ambassadors of Christ. God is doing things in us and through us. And he needs us to be light in this world. And we're light when we open our mouth. We're light when we speak what God is doing, when we demonstrate his goodness to others. I'm going to read those verses in Ecclesiastes, and then I'll pull up my sermon title. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. There's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. There's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time for love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Today I want to talk about there are times, there is a time to be silent. It's funny, as I told people what I was preaching on, several people laugh. And I don't know if they're laughing because they think it's a message they need for themselves or it's a message that they're thinking for someone else. So if you're thinking about someone else right now, now is a time to be silent. That's verbally and non-verbally, okay? There's no elbows either right now. The reality that that we're seeing in this, and Tam teased me last week because I said I'm preaching a time to speak and then I'm preaching a time to be silent. And she said, you're going to get people really confused because you're telling them to talk and then you're telling them to shut up. You know, like, I'm just following Solomon. I'm just following Ecclesiastes. It's not me. So if you're upset with someone, you can talk to him. I don't know that he's going to listen right now, but you can try. Believing genuinely that for us as, as, as believers... In Jesus Christ, we need to learn the importance of a time to be silent. We can all think of examples on when someone probably should have been silent, but they weren't. There's some examples we can even see in Scripture. Uh, I I was looking at the story of Joseph this week. And this is in Genesis chapter 37. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, 
was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. I mean, look at his introduction in Scripture. Introduction. Introduction. Introduction in Scripture. Joseph, what's the first thing we see he does? He's a tattletale. Right? I mean, he'd run into his daddy to tell him what his brothers did wrong. So obviously, now Israel loved Joseph more than the other sons because he'd been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word about him. So Joseph has a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said, listen to my dream. Listen to the dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood above or stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. There's a time to be silent. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he'd said. There's a time to be silent. So then he had another dream. I think there's a time to be silent. The condition of his relationship with his brothers right now is, is fractured. It's bad. They hate him all the more because of the dream that he had. And so he has another dream. So what does he do? He told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon, 11 stars, were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I bow and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in his mind. Now what happens in the next chapter, or what happens in the following part of the story, his brothers get so upset with him that they decide they want to kill him. They plot to kill him, uh, but rather than killing him, they throw him in a pit to die, and and they trade him or they sell him to some some traitors. I'm not saying I know, again, we talk about the sovereignty of God, but my impression is if I'm Joseph's uh, counselor, at some point in the story, I'm saying, hey, dude, you just got to be quiet. Like you cause enough problems, the dreams probably stop. I'm not saying God didn't use this story and he is sovereign. He ends up going to Egypt. He ends up saving them in famine and everybody comes and God's people were delivered through this. But maybe God could have accomplished that in a much simpler way than being sold and being accused and being in prison and all those things. I don't know. But there's probably a time to be silent. If you don't like that story, let's look at one in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 16, what happens right before these verses is Jesus is talking about what is about to come. He's telling his disciples that soon he will be arrested and and he will be killed. I mean, he's telling them the story that's laying out before them. And so Peter, right? Peter. Peter takes him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. There's a time to be silent. Because Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. I don't know about you. I think this is probably one of the harshest rebukes we see of Jesus to his disciples or to the Pharisees in all of Scripture. And he came, why? Because Peter was speaking from human concerns not the concerns of God. Because Peter's mouth was inclined on what? Jesus, I mean, he felt, I think he's feeling pretty good about himself right now, right? Jesus, this will never happen. 
They're not going to get you. They're not going to take you. This is never going to happen. Can't happen that way. Everything's going to be fine. And Jesus rebuked him and said, get behind me, Satan. There's a time to be silent. Look at what Jesus modeled. He's standing on trial. They're trying to find people who could bring accusations against him, but they didn't find any. Though many false witnesses came forward, finally two came forward and declared, this fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. The high priest stood up and said to Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. We continue to see this story in the next chapter. Meanwhile, Jesus stands before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. When he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he did what? He gave no answer. Pilate asks him, Don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. I want to tell you, in a time where my human concerns want to cry out, it's when people are making false accusations against me, and I'm standing the trial, potentially for my life. If there's ever a time to speak for human concerns... First Peter writes about this season. He says, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one or to him who judges justly. For us, it's so easy for the human concerns to control what's coming out of our mouth. It's so easy for us to allow that flesh side of us to dictate what's coming from our voice. I'm telling you, uh, the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, Old Testament wisdom is filled with this reality of a time to be silent. You know what the Old Testament, especially in the book of Proverbs says? Wise people do what? They're silent. Foolish people talk too much. I mean, it's pretty vivid as you look at the, at the Old Testament in the book of Proverbs. Just Proverbs alone says, when there are many words, wrongdoing is unavoidable, but, but one who restrains his lips is wise. Whoever derides their neighbor has no sense, but the one who has understanding holds their tongue. Even fools are thought wise. Someone probably needs to underline this verse. Proverbs 17, 28. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning. I'm sorry, I probably should put it up there so you can see it. Discerning if they hold their tongues. Proverbs 18 says, The lips of fools bring them strife. Their mouths invite a beating. The mouths of fools are their undoing, and their lips are a snare to their very lives. You know, whether it's in the Old Testament wisdom literature, it's in the words of Solomon in in Ecclesiastes, it's in the examples we see in Scripture, there's something we all have to recognize 
the importance of silence. And I will say, we're going to look at some scriptures in just a little bit, that say this is not an easy thing to do. I will say we're going to look at some scriptures in a little bit that talk about this as being probably one of the most challenging tasks that faces man today. Solomon basically is saying, and look at what, look at the words. Now here's the scripture, I'll tell you what, if you don't think this is a big deal yet, if you're not worried about the words that you're speaking yet, if you're not convinced that maybe, just maybe you need to worry about being silent for a little bit, let's look at what it says in the book of Matthew. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree, a tree is recognized by its fruit. Now again, there's a time to speak. Jesus is going to he's going to talk pretty rough. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. I'm going to read that again. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every Empty word they have spoken. There's a time to be silent. For by your words you'll be acquitted and by your words you'll be condemned. Do you see the accountability of our words that Jesus Christ is teaching right there? I mean, sometimes we don't recognize and sometimes we're not worried about our words and sometimes we think pastors just like to talk about this stuff but it's cool that we just keep going on and on in our own way and our own thing. Scripture is telling me that we have to give an account for every useless or idle word that we've spoken, whether good or bad. I tell you what, you want to talk about a sobering scripture. You start looking at that scripture in the context of your life. Every word Every useless word, every bad word, everything that I've spoken that I shouldn't have said, there's an account that's going to come for that. Man, there's a time to be silent. He says basically that what's coming out of your mouth is an indicator of what's in your heart. Our words, they're revealing what's in us. And sometimes we're better off just being silent. Remember that proverb, a fool is considered wise if he just doesn't talk? Maybe if you're worried about what's being created, maybe if you're worried about what's coming from you, just be silent. I tell you what, there's plenty of places to engage in conversation. There's plenty of opportunities to engage in a dialogue. I'm taking a course right now, and part of it, my main grade right now is all about discussions, and they're all type discussions. And I'm so conditioned from social media to not engage in type discussions because I see so many uh, useless and idle words that get posted on social media, if you know what I'm talking about. And what follows is destruction and problems. And so I had a guy literally call me out this week on my discussion post. I'm not kidding you. And I I wrote a discussion post. It was about Genesis and about the creation accounts. 
And he says, I want to challenge your response. And I'll tell you what, you want to get me fired up? I want to challenge what you have to say about your interpretation. And he took one line from my post, one line. And he said, you said that God is in control and he created all things effortlessly. Pulled it out and he said, I've got people in my church that would wrestle with that reality because of what's going on in Israel right now. So then he, he, he excuse me, he had the nerve, this is pastor talking right now in my flesh, this is, to say, do you want to change what you wrote in light of what I said? I'll tell you what, I typed out about 16 different responses to this guy. <laughs> and they were good. But man, there's a time to be silent. So I I very politely said, no, I would not change what I have to say. I still believe God is in control and he created everything that was out of effortlessly in the beginning. I said, but, you know, anyway, but all that said to say, I guarantee you we are presented with opportunities day after day, moment by moment. If you're a parent, probably more often than you want to say, where there's a time to speak and there's a time to be silent. There's a time for your flesh those, those humanly concerns that come out versus the godly concerns. This is a reality. It's a discipline that we all face. And this scripture just says what's coming out of your mouth is what's in your heart. What's coming from you is what's inside of you. And, and we all will have to give an account for the words that we've spoken from. It's something important for us to comprehend. James. James writes about this opportunity. James is actually a book. It's funny in the Old Testament. I was just quoting, or in the New Testament. It's not in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. Uh, I was quoting wisdom literature in the Old Testament. And when scholars look at the canon of the New Testament, they say James is a little bit unique. And they want to align him more with Proverbs than they do with the New Testament epistles just because they say what he says. He's got a lot of life application principles that are written in his book. So anyway, so we're going to look at a, at a proverb. Uh, I would call it in James, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. He continues, this is the verse I was talking about just a little bit ago to explain the importance of this tongue. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. And that's a pretty good, pretty good opportunity. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds that are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, James is saying, here's how important your tongue is. I just read that we're going to have to give an account for every idle word or useless word we've spoken. The tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the body, parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, setting its whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil and full of deadly poison. James's perspective of your tongue is that's a dangerous weapon in your mouth. Who here has a tongue?
you know what? I've got some guns in a safe in my, in my basement that are locked up. What if I just went ahead and handed Elliot, just, we'll just give him the 22. The Henry that I got for pastor appreciation a while ago, it's lever action. It's a fun thing to shoot, man. You just get that going and pull the trigger. You know what I'm talking about? But anyway, uh, what if I just gave that to Elliot and said, here, let me load it for you. How foolish would I be to let him run around the house with a loaded gun, just pulling the trigger wherever he wanted? What would be wise if I gave Elliot a gun right now? Lock it in the safe until I teach him how to use it, right? Put it in a safe until he knows how to use this thing responsibly. Maybe when we're hearing the prophets say it's, key, it's wise to keep our mouths shut, maybe we need to keep our weapon quiet for a while until we learn how to use it. James says that thing in your mouth sets fires. I can see stories. I know of moments in my life where a small spark set a great fire. Huh? Maybe it's just me. Man, in my home, I got a problem. I like to be right. Don't laugh. Oh, man, time to be silent. And I have a problem sometimes. Even if I know what you're saying to me, but you say the wrong thing, I must correct. Do you know what I'm saying? You be quiet. There's a time to be silent. She does the same thing, but that's besides the point. And I was trying to be silent. But there were some human concerns there that came forward. But you know what I think about? I mean, when I can reflect on it after I got out of the moment of proving my point and being right? Because that's all it's about at that moment. I've just made someone feel completely foolish because I corrected something that they didn't mean to say or they probably didn't even hear themselves say it. My kids are convinced they didn't say stuff when I hear them say it and I correct them and they say, no, I never said that. And then it becomes this big, huge fight about what we said. So we're completely off the topic of where we were supposed to be. We're talking about what was for dinner and all of a sudden we're fighting about something else because I didn't say what you said. You, what do you think I said? And all of a sudden we've got chaos in the midst of our home because I just had to tell someone that I was right. Avery, you be quiet. There's a time to be silent. (laughs) And you know what? My kids have learned how to be just like that. We all have an incredible weapon in our mouth. Now, a weapon used in the right application is absolutely imperative. But a weapon used carelessly and uselessly hurts people. I got a quote in bold letters in my, in my sermon. I want to make sure I read it. So how do I know when it's a time to speak and how do I know when it's a time to be silent? When I'm speaking to gratify my flesh, I probably should be silent. When I'm speaking to glorify God, I probably should speak up. I'm going to say that again. And I'm going to encourage you to listen to these words. 
When I'm speaking to gratify my flesh, I probably should be silent. If you're looking for a litmus test on do I need to engage in this conversation on social media or do I need to engage in this conversation in life, am I seeking to gratify my flesh? Then maybe just keep that thing locked up. Am I seeking to glorify God? Am I seeking to glorify the one who is, who was, and always will be? Then probably I should speak up. You see, there's a time to be silent, and there's a time to speak. That weapon that at times can set fires and destroy things, when it's governed by the flesh, when it's governed by the Spirit of God, it can tear down walls, it can, it can set people free, it can bring hope and life and joy. But when it's governed by the flesh, it has the power to bring devastation and destruction. It has the power to set things on fire. James calls it deadly poison. There's a time to speak, and there's a time to be silent. This morning, the message, the season, the the reality of this word is that we have to be aware of what's coming from our mouths. My hope is that we can recognize just a little bit how powerful this thing is inside of us. And that when I recognize that it's pretty powerful, I use a little bit more caution when I'm exercising it. I promise I I still have a lot of room. When James is saying uh, it's easier to tame an animal uh, or, or, or no man is considered perfect until his words are perfect or whatever he said in those verses, man, those are great goals to attain to. But as your pastor, I am not perfect and I still have a long way to go. Even in my sermons at times, there are times where I'm like, man, why did I say that? Man, it was going to bring a good laugh. People would think I'm smart. We all have to work together on the discipline that is. I mean, we're learning how to talk from the time where we're this big, this tool. I'm looking at Celie right now. I mean, she's learning the words and, and the ways to speak. And, and it's something that it, it just comes naturally. But if we don't learn how to use it appropriately, then it causes problems. And maybe, just maybe, we need to lock it up for a little while. Maybe, just maybe, we need to recognize... And that's myself, not his concerns. I'm going to pray over us. Father, this morning, as we've talked, as you've talked, hopefully through me, and you've reminded us, God, of of those areas, maybe some, some pieces of us where, yeah, I need to work on this whole silent thing. God, what James said, this is impossible for men. It's impossible for humankind to tame the tongue apart from the Spirit of God. This discipline in itself is impossible for us without you. So God, for us, for our tongues, God, I pray that you would help us 
That you would help us, God, to tame this thing in our mouth, to have discernment and understanding, to hear your voice and respond when you say. When there's a time to be silent, help us to remain silent. And when there's a time to speak, help us to be as bold as we possibly can be. God, we submit ourselves to you. We ask that you would be glorified in this area of our lives. I pray you would continue to challenge and strengthen and encourage us in this. And that, God, your story would be written through us. In Jesus' name, amen.